This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. We did the same thing we did last week, where I think about taping on a Monday, and then I go, oh no. (laughs) Oh no! And I text Justin, and we realize we might have some breaking news. We might get spoiled. Let's wait another day. And, uh, well... We still don't have any breaking news. We don't know if that news is going to drop like a bombshell. Andy Avalos could be wearing Bronco blue by the end of the day, uh, by the end of this podcast even. We don't know. We're just going to keep on rolling, see what happens, and we'll talk about plenty of everything else in the meantime. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, Matt Bagley alongside Justin Hopkins. We can get into the Avalos story for a few minutes today, my friend, but let's start with the big one. Ducks, not so much of a party after the Fiesta Bowl loss. How do you feel? Um, you know, I think initially, like some of the fans, you know, you you expect to win. And and I think that that's, you know, that's how obviously that's how Mario Cristobal enters a game, right? You know, you're going in expecting to win, to compete, to be physical, to do all these things. And when you don't get that outcome, you know, the first hour two hours after the game you're pissed you know you're like hey you know we should have done this right we didn't look we didn't look good here we didn't execute this manner you know for Oregon it was you know obviously the fumbles the mistakes there really you know just kind of shot themselves in the foot multiple times as they had done all year the quarterback play was really confusing to me probably to everybody else as well um, you know, that's the first two hours. And then after that, you kind of start peeling things back. You, maybe you have a beer or, or, a, or, a, or an old fashioned or a shot of whiskey or something. And you start kind of, well, okay, we got a football season. We weren't expecting, you know, the PAC 12 was behind the eight ball the whole way. That was the number 10 team in the country. Matt Campbell's a really good coach. They were more experienced than Oregon was, you know, you start rationalizing some of the things and, and you're somewhere in between, you know, by the end of it, you're somewhere in between. Okay. You know, Oregon's young and they're going to get better. Uh, Iowa State was really good. Ducks kind of shot themselves in the foot. I wasn't expecting a season. Okay, off we go. Let's get ready for spring football. I think that's kind of where we're at. That's where I'm at. Um, Again, not sugarcoating the loss because it was a loss. The Ducks, you know, just really, they didn't play all that well, but they didn't play all that poorly. They, you know, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. They were in the game, I guess. And if you're talking about, you know, basically an all new offense, all a new offensive coordinator. Um, the youth that Oregon had and to be in the game essentially in a New York six bowl game, I think it speeds loudly to, you know, the potential of this football team the next two to three years, but simply talking about the game. Yeah. The ducks didn't play as well as they could have, you know, decent game, but obviously you're going to be looking to improve next year. Yeah. You say they didn't play well, but they didn't play that poorly. And that was the takeaway for me. I know a lot of fans want to freak out. Sky is falling. Uh, and, and I even read a couple headlines from an out from some outlets after the game about how the Ducks got blown out. And I'm thinking, I didn't see them get blown out. I, no. I saw I saw an Iowa State team, and you talked about this on the site, 
They were well-coached, well-prepared. And I saw an Oregon team that I, I just don't know if they were, and you could chalk that up to inexperience. I, I talked on my show yesterday about how I, I can't imagine a bunch of young college kids with brand-new PS5s were really focused for this game. I think they had some distraction. Uh, but But it's just one game in a COVID year, and with a young roster, with question marks at the most important position, I think you have a chance this offseason to put all of that behind you, put your best foot forward, and go win another Pac-12 title. Yeah, uh, you make a great point there. You still won a Pac-12 title along the way. I know it had it, it's it was a weird Pac-12 title, don't get me wrong, and the way you got there was different, but everything about this season was different, and I think you know, one of the things that really speaks loudly is the fact that, you know, Mario Cristobal was able to keep this young team basically ready to play each week, you know, and it, and it, you didn't hear him make excuses of, Hey, we're missing this guy, this guy, this guy, you know, sure. Maybe other teams had, had, had worse outbreaks. We don't really know the numbers um, kind of falls into that HIPAA guideline there. So it gets kind of, kind of squirrely on you, but uh, you know, he had his team ready. They played, they were ready for every game they were supposed to play. They were one of two Pac-12 teams that played a bowl game. Um, you know, they, they played a New York Six bowl game, uh, beat, beat USC, which is huge. I mean, honestly, any year, as long as you beat USC in, in Washington, it's considered a successful year. Obviously didn't get the chance to play Washington, so we, you know, we don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I didn't see it as a bad loss. I didn't see it as a blowout. I mean, it, it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't great. You know, the Ducks definitely lost. I'm not making excuses. There's no doubt Iowa State was the better team on that day or at least the more disciplined. But, right, right. you know, to say to say that that team really was that far away from being in that football game, I think, is is being disingenuous to that team. They, you know, the, they showed they had everything. Again, the quarterback, the quarterback thing was a little weird to me. Uh, you know, the mistakes, uh, the, the fumbles, the special teams, all those things, you know, got to clean those things up. That's what, you know, that's what good teams do. They, they, they take advantage of your mistakes and there's no doubt Iowa state did that, but, uh, you know, really just to think that this team's that far away is not being fair. I, I, I don't know if 2021 is the year or not, but I got a feeling within the next two years, you know, this team's really going to be primed to make some pretty serious noise uh, in college football, I believe. Right. I I think about it this way. If you look at just the elite players on this team, the guys that are in the biggest roles, the guys that are making the biggest impacts, even if they're not always the best players, guys like, say, Tyler Shuck, um, they all have one thing in common. They're all young, right? They're They're all potentially, with Shuck, coming back next year. They're all potentially going to have first-team reps in a full offseason, uninterrupted by a pandemic. Let's knock on wood. They've all got an opportunity in the future to really make their mark at Oregon. They didn't have to do it this year. No, and I, I think one thing that highlights all that, you know, if you ask anybody, hey, who are the three best players on the, on the football team this year? More than likely, they're going to say Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, more, more than likely. Yeah, yeah, true sophomore. True sophomore. More than likely, they're going to say Mikhail Wright. Same thing. True sophomore. More than likely, they're going to say Sewell. True freshman. That's that's where this team's at. And, you know, I'm not making excuses. Lenore had a good year. You know, thankful for him. But 
I think that's a guy that's that's by and large mostly replaceable. You know, a, a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, that's a difference maker. Uh, obviously, you know, when you lose Panay Sewell, that, that puts a dent, you know, in your team. When you lose a guy like Javon Holland, that puts a dent in your team. Oh, by the way, both those guys were, you know, uh, true sophomore or, or true junior, you know, still young. So um, at some point, this team had to have so much, some turnover. You had to get rid of some of the older dead weight, which Mario Cristobal has kind of trimmed the fat the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's doing a little bit more this year. Uh, and you just keep bringing in that youth infusion. At some point, you'll have a, a you know, you'll have a, a pipeline that's pretty well stocked. But, you know, you were at the kind of, I guess, metaphorically, you were at the end of that pipeline with a lot of those. They were Mark Helfrich recruits. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not saying that Mario Cristobal did it all. But you had Mario, or excuse me, Mark Helfrich recruits that were, you know, entering, you know, redshirt junior and and senior seasons. They were veteran guys, experienced guys. They knew what it was like to lose. They figured out what it was like to win. Mario Cristobal took them a next step, obviously got to the Rose Bowl, had a victory there. Well, those guys all left and you had to kind of, you know, put some more talent back in that pipeline. And that's what he's doing. The problem is all of that talent's really, really young and really, really inexperienced. And a really weird COVID year didn't help that one bit. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think there's another point here. We've talked about this on the show before. The coaching staff can lead your team uh, anywhere, any, any program in the country. But the coaching staff can only lead so much. You still need leaders in the locker room, right? And I, I know this from, from playing sports and, and from growing up playing in bands. A teacher, they can help you. But what really motivates guys is their, their peers, Right. So for me, it was while I'm playing with this sax player that that tells everybody, hey, we're going to practice this song afterwards. We're not missing a note today Uh, for for your football team. It's having that quarterback that says, if you miss a block one more time, right, you're dead to me. And, uh, you know, the defensive lineman that says, hey, I don't want you to miss a tackle behind me in run support. I, I think that as this team gets older, you're going to see leaders step in. But one of the side effects of all of those seniors and those redshirt guys you mentioned moving on to greener pastures in the NFL is there was a void of leadership on this team. 100%. Yeah, I think that was the biggest Achilles heel. And I think that that's, you know, just circling back, Oregon didn't play well on the road this year. Any road game, they really didn't play well. Sure, they wanted Pullman, but that's a, you know, and, and they did beat USC in LA. They just really didn't play good football on the road this year. And they had four, four road games. You know, that's a lot of, or five uh, road games this year. And that's a, that's a lot of time, you know, traveling. And like you said, when you don't have, uh, a, a Troy Dye, or you don't have a Javon Holland, or you don't have those five experienced offensive linemen, you know, Throckmorton, Shane Lemieux, those guys all in the hotel room, in the lobby, making sure you're, you know, at your meetings on time, you know, getting you ready in pregame, getting you out on the field, getting you amped up. You know, like you said, you can have Coach Feld or Coach Cristobal or any of the coaches walking around, but, you know, it's those guys being on the field that kind of holds you accountable. Uh, that Oregon missed, and and I and it's a lot to you know uh, you know Noah Sewell. There's a guy that steps into a role that traditionally is your leader, you know your your middle linebacker, and you're asking a true freshman, not even a year removed from playing high school football, 
to be the leader of a team, you know, and he's looking at, you know, a bunch of, you know, he's looking at seniors in the safety group and he's looking at seniors on the defensive line that have been there for three, four, five years. And you're asking him to come in and lead. That's not fair. That's, it's really just not going to happen. And, uh, you know, that's something he'll grow into. Uh, I imagine he'll take a ma- a massive step forward next year after having been with this team this year. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau doesn't strike me as a guy that is a vocal leader, and that's not a knock on him. Marcus Mariota wasn't either. There's just some people that just don't carry that type of personality. So somebody's going to have to step up there and be that guy. Uh, you know, Verone McC- McKinley, I think I did. I think he did a little bit this year. But I think the offense needs that. I think, uh, you know, I think they were kind of expecting that of Tyler Shuck this year, and I, I don't know that he did that on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know that any of those offensive linemen did that this year. They were all, you know, five, basically five new starters, although Stephen Jones had, had started some in the past. Yeah, you just somebody's going to have to step up and lead, and I think that's probably, if I'm guessing, you know, outside of, of handling a few – uh, things. I think that's probably one of the top three things on Mario Cristobal's checklist right now is identifying who those guys are going to be and really developing them in that regard, in a leadership regard uh, for next season, because it's important, like you said. I love that you went there because it was the very next thing in my notes. Put the Mario Cristobal hat on. Let's play hypothetical game here. You're Mario Cristobal. You're planning out your off season. What's the first thing you work on for this team? Well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, here you and I are on a Tuesday. The Ducks finished game Saturday, you know, early evening, late afternoon. You know, fly back to Eugene, bam. You know, right now, Mario Cristobal's obviously got concerns about his defensive coordinator going to Boise State. He's got six assistant coaches that their contracts are up and need to be basically handled in the next two to three weeks. Oh, and by the way, you got back to Eugene and your early enrollees, the 15 early enrollees that you have started showing up Sunday and Monday. So, you know, his hat is, uh, I don't know, he's, he's wearing about eight hats right now, which is, which is what you do. It's not, it's not just Mario Cristobal, it's all coaches. But, I mean, he's got a lot on his plate at the moment. He's getting his early enrollees in and situated, which is very key. He's looking at the numbers there. Uh, you know, Oregon signed and brought in more early enrollees than they technically could have due to scholarship limits. So he's got a couple of guys currently on the team that, that – uh, he has to have the difficult talk with. And we saw Javon Wilson was one of those guys, you know, deciding to enter the transfer portal. We saw David Davis, another guy deciding to enter the transfer portal, probably going to be another guy or two along the way here that has to do that now. But again, later this spring, when the rest of the enrollees show up, he's got to do that then as well. Uh, And I say all that, and all of those things are immensely important and probably going to be very stressful this week, but you also need to start looking at, okay, what's our strength conditioning program look like for this winter? Who's going to be doing what getting coach Feld lined up, getting that group lined up and, and, you know, making sure everybody's got their academics lined up and getting in their courses and everything. Uh, You know, all that's important, but you know, what is today, January 5th, and you're going to have spring ball starting in less than two months. So, you know, you've got to go ahead and start getting the the outline and the plan there to your coaches for spring ball and what they're going to be needing to do and, and, and practice on. Um, so that's your hat. I mean, that's your hat probably for this week and next week, bare minimum. Uh, oh, by the way, you got to recruit. You still have four open signatures left that you can get either via the transfer portal or via recruiting and signing them in February. You've got sp- four spots left and, and, uh, 
you know, we, we, you and I both know Mario Cristobal is going to use at least three to three of those spots, you know, probably in that time in the next three to four weeks. So you're, you're continuing to recruit those guys, JT Tuamalo, the, you know, the five-star defensive lineman uh, is still hanging out there. You've got Jadarius Perkins, the Juco cornerback that's kind of, you know, lingering out there. You've got Jordan Moko, the Juco offensive tackle that Oregon's looking at. And then, you know, the last thing that, that I'll finish this out on the, the one-time transfer act is going to go into, it's going to go into act here in the next uh, three to four days. So as wild as the transfer portal has been, and it's already at uh, record numbers now, this weekend, expect it to absolutely just jump because they're going to pass the ruling that says you can transfer one time and, and not have the penalty of having to sit. Right. So, um, I mean, that's your next week. That's just your next week. <laughs> so I'm glad that, you know, the, the hard part for you and I were, was carving out an hour to record a podcast. If that's our biggest obstacle of the week, I'd say we're winning. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Obviously we've got about eight months to beat this next topic into the ground repeatedly, but let's kind of start that process here. You mentioned that massive influx to the transfer portal this weekend. Do you think there's going to be any duck quarterbacks in there? Well, I mean, in terms of any quarterbacks leaving, you know, obviously uh, with what Oregon did the last two games, which was USC and the Fiesta Bowl, you know, we, we finally saw Anthony Brown. And I, I, the hard part is, there is what did we see? You know, did we see a guy that, that hadn't shown that he was capable and, and, and developed over the year or at least got more comfortable with the offense? Or did we see a guy that maybe didn't get a fair shake? Um, and might be a little bit, uh, you know, peeved about that situation. You know, he's the wild card for me. I think the only way Mario Cristobal, uh, because again, Anthony Brown has that this year didn't count. So even though he was a grad transfer, he's, he's got the opportunity to play another year. He can play that at Oregon or he can play that elsewhere. Um, uh, you know, I guess just being fair, if I'm Mario Cristobal, I'm trying like hell to keep him. Um, I don't think we need to indict Tyler Shuck and say he's a flop at this point, but there's work to be done. And I think your quarterback room is much better off with Anthony Brown than it is without. So, you know, for Mario Cristobal, you're trying to keep Anthony Brown. Now, does that, I mean, what does that entail? Are you having to promise him the starting job in the spring? Uh, You know, I don't know. I mean, I I can't imagine Mario Cristobal is promising anything, but I think that's going to be really difficult to do. I don't think Tyler Shuck's going anywhere. I think he's, he's locked in. You know, he's a guy that's going to be with the Ducks. I don't think I'm worried about Tyler Shuck going anywhere. Just to me, the whole storyline with quarterback is whether Anthony Brown stays or not. And based on his decision, assuming if he doesn't stay, does Oregon enter, you know, the grad transfer portal looking for a one-year stopgap at quarterback? You got Ty Thompson coming in. I'm a big Ty Thompson fan but I've said it before. It's a lot to ask of a true freshman to come in and be the guy. It's not impossible. It's been done. But if everybody just sits here and says, don't worry, we got Ty Thompson coming in. We're good. Look more times than not, that doesn't pan out very well for PAC 12 teams for anybody for that matter, that a true freshman comes in and wins out the job. Yeah. I don't think Ty Thompson's the kind of guy that if you brought in the right graduate transfer and said, Hey, look, we're bringing this guy in. We need to shore up this position. But I tell you what, after this year, no matter who wins the job, you're going to have a fair shot at, at winning the, the job as a redshirt freshman. 
you know, I don't think any quarterback's going to bail from that type of scenario, but it's got to be a grad transfer. I, I believe if you go and bring in a, a transfer and he happens to be a sophomore or something of that regard, well, then, then you've kind of changed the dynamic. So um, again, these are the, uh, the six figure decisions that Mario Cristobal gets to make. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he's got a harder job than we do this week. Like you said, I'll just say this about Thompson and then I'll put a pin in it. So we have a little more content over the next nine months. Cause Believe me, we're, we're going to talk about this a lot. But um, the kid's a five-star quarterback, a, a quarterback, a position that these guys all have a sublime belief in themselves. I have no doubt if the Ducks say, we're going to give you a shot to compete. It doesn't mean we're going to make you our guy and, and give you all the reps, but we're going to give you a shot to compete. If they just say that to Ty Thompson, even if there's a grad transfer in the room, even if Tyler Shuck is there with him, I think that's enough for him. I think he believes in himself, and he would stay a duck and stay like he is, fiery focused, recruiting guys and building the future at Oregon. Yeah, I mean, I think if if we're talking about quarterbacks and, and 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 entering the portal, you know, disregarding Anthony Brown, if Ty Thompson comes in and wins out the job, then obviously Tyler Shuck's probably hitting the portal in two years. But that's a a, a much different discussion for a much different time. We're we're obviously making you know some pretty uh some pretty pretty big projections at this point. Right now, I think Ty Thompson's going to be given every opportunity to come in and compete. And we'll just have to see what happens. I could definitely see Oregon going into the grad, into the transfer portal for the right quarterback, but it's going to have to be the right guy. Yeah. Um, let's save the uh, NFL draft conversation for a little bit later, just so we got a little bit of football left in the pod at the end of it. Uh, college football playoff. Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. Did that Ohio State win change your mind much? Not really. And uh, don't get me wrong. It was impressive. Um, you know, they would have kicked the crap out of Oregon. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not disputing. They didn't play a good football game, but you know, to me, this, I look at it this way. Uh, and, and, and here's how I'll relate it to Oregon. Uh, Oregon went down to LA and beat USC. That was an easy game to get up for. You know, all you had to do was say, Hey, guess what guys We're playing USC instantly kicked it up a notch. They knew what was on the line. You know, the battle for SoCal, recruiting, all these things. You got tons of L.A. guys on that roster. You know, they took a lot of pride going in, down there to beat USC. Even though it was Fiesta Bowl, New York Six game, Iowa State doesn't move the needle like that for these players. Uh, they're young and inexperienced. There's no, hey, I, you know, I know half their team. I played with half their team seven on seven. Uh, that, <laughs> doesn't, that just didn't register, didn't move the needle. I'm not saying that Ohio State can't get up for Alabama because let's be fair, it's Alabama. Everybody gives them their their best shot 100%. But it's a hell of a lot easier to get them up for Clemson after the comments Dabo Swinney made about Ohio State and where he ranked them uh, you know, at number 11 headed into that game. They had a ton of bulletin board material for that game. I think they had a little bit of extra ammunition you know, in the tank for that one. I still think Alabama's the better team. I think Overall, they just, you know, the way their offense is playing right now, uh, all the dudes that they have, not that Ohio State doesn't have dudes. 
I just think Alabama's clearly on another level than everyone else. And even though that was probably Ohio State's best game of the year, I think they had a little bit of added ammunition going up against Clemson and, and Dabo, who seems to apparently want to feel like he wants to run his mouth a little bit more this year, shockingly enough. Yeah. Uh, and I think it caught him in that game. Yeah, the governor of Michigan getting himself in trouble a little bit. Um, I'm I'm left with a couple takeaways from that game, one of which I I did kind of change my mind on. You talked about how Dabo gave Ohio State a little fuel for their fire, and I totally agree. I, I think they were the more motivated team, and I think it goes all the way back to last January. They They play Clemson in the playoff. They outplay Clemson for three and a half quarters, but they let the score slip away at the end. Clemson moves on to the national championship game, and I think that result haunted Ohio State. I think you see this with great teams, any sport, any level, when they lose a close playoff game like that, and their season ends on such a sobering note, it motivates them in the weight room, in the film room, and on the practice field for the whole offseason. And, and I think that built them to be the team they were in that playoff game. They were not going to lose to Clemson a second time. Uh, yeah. The other thing that I learned, I feel like Justin Fields is, is right up there with Lawrence as one of the best quarterbacks in football. Maybe Lawrence is 1A. Fields is 1B. I, I think about that rib shot that he had in the second quarter. I, I'm certain he broke a rib or a, a, a minor break of something in his back, something in his shoulder maybe. You know he's got an injury after that game that they're trying to hide. And yet he was making surreal throws, just just cannon throws deep across the field. Um I was really impressed by that, and and I I think that in this game, like you said, Alabama's got too many weapons. They probably have a Heisman-winning wide receiver. They have a running back that made the entire world drop their jaw on the floor, Najee Harris. They have a quarterback that is quietly putting together a really good Heisman resume, and they have an offense that's humming on all cylinders, I think this game reminds me of uh, Bama Clemson 2, the year that Deshaun Watson is the best player on the field and Clemson gets that touchdown with Hunter Renfro in the final seconds. Bama's the better team, but the Buckeyes have the best player, and I, I think that game's going to go down to the wire. I hope so. I'm excited for a good playoff. Um, you know, it would, be, it would be nice, you know, to have a, a close game. Uh, you know, I, I, like you, I wonder if Justin Fields went in at, at halftime and got the old Bud Kilmer injection of, uh, you know, of uh, of fixing injuries. Right. <laughs> he, he, had he had to. He had to. I mean, th- that and it wasn't the only shot he took in that game. Clemson right. was trying to kill him. I mean, as a football fan, I loved it because it was just classic football, just violent, aggressive hitting. I don't have a problem with it. And, and his response to it, say what you will about painkillers, I, I don't think they're great, but his response to play with the tenacity he played with and, and make those throws, the kid threw, what, seven touchdowns, six touchdowns, over 300 yards, a wicked completion percentage, 
that doesn't happen every day. No. No, Ohio State's a really good football team. Uh, you know, I, I think much like Oregon, uh, you know, I think Clemson was obviously, you know, really heavily impacted by, by this year, by this COVID year, by, you know, g- guys that weren't able to play. Trevor Lawrence obviously missed a couple games. Uh, you know, I, I think it definitely, you know, derailed their, their season a little bit. And I, I say derailed, they still made the, obviously, the, the, the top four in the college football playoff. But the, let's be clear, that wasn't, the, that wasn't the same Clemson. You know what I mean? I just, and I think that's the weird year. Ohio State and Alabama were able to withstand. And that's the thing. So we see those four teams in there, right? And, and even Notre Dame, for that matter, who, who probably didn't belong, but, but made their way in there. Yeah, all four of those teams, even including Notre Dame, you know, they have top five classes probably for the last decade or longer. And, and that's the difference. Oregon's got, you know, two top 10 classes here back to back. But that, I mean, you're, you're, you're not comparing apples to apples. So, you know, when fans kind of see, Hey, why did Oregon take a step back? Well, you know, you just started recruiting at this level, you know, those guys, yeah, they weren't as affected, but guess what? They have talent everywhere. Even, you know, uh, with a few opt-outs, if, even if they had a couple opt-outs, they still had tons of talent. You know, we saw what the opt-outs did to LSU. Absolutely. Just, obliterated that team you know they were they were a shell of of themselves from last year and it's understandable i mean you have to recruit at that top five level year in and year out to be there and 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 then that shows where oregon wants to get to but it doesn't mean that's where oregon is you know there's still a lot of time left uh for well i mean mario crispall's got a lot of a lot of top five classes to bring in to get there um you know but they can and i know i went on a tangent there but i think Really, just kind of looking at those four teams really encapsulates, you know, where you're wanting to be, but what also what it's taking to get there. And I think fans' expectations of where this team is at currently are not fair. If you want those expectations to be where you want your team to be, that's fair. But guess what? You still got to bring in top five recruiting classes for about five more years to get there. You know, and unfortunately, Oregon, Oregon lost out a lot of talent in the last two years. Maybe they weren't first round NFL talent like LSU, Mm -hmm. but you lost a ton of snaps and a ton of experience. And then you, you lost two potential first rounders to opting out on top of that. You suffered some LSU esque losses this year and still fielded a pretty competitive team in the conference that had the biggest disadvantage out of all of them, by the way. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Um, you, you talk about the gulf between Oregon and these programs at the top. I think the Bama-Notre Dame game illustrates that because Notre Dame has some pieces, just like the Ducks do, and they got toyed with like a youth team out there. Uh, <laughs> what was the crazier play to you? Devontae Smith running in a wide receiver screen to the house at half speed or Najee Harris straight up hurtling out of a defender's soul? Well, I think both of those really showcase just how explosive that Alabama offense is. That's for sure. You know, and the hard part is one of the things that was really hard for me, uh, and I'm going to answer your question. First of all, I think it was Najee Harris. I mean, I, maybe that's not being fair to Devontae Smith because that guy literally just glides over the turf no matter where he is. It's It's insane to watch that guy run the way he does he's just so silky smooth i don't i i i I mean there's been some great receivers in the last 10 years but that guy 
I mean, shoot, you just think he's on another level. But, uh, you know, that Najee Harris jump, I mean, the guy didn't even touch him. I mean, he literally cleared him and, and, and no part of his body even touched him. And, you know, you're talking about a guy that's, you know, what is he, six foot, six foot one, 225 pounds, 230 pounds. I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. But my point is the Najee Harris uh, part itself reminds me of something very sobering. There's a lot of really good talent out West that's, that's flooding to those Clemson, Alabama, and especially those Ohio State teams. You know, Ohio State, you're talking about Chris Olave and some of the other guys there, all from California. Um, you know, that's the, that's the thing that really, you know, Oregon and I guess USC for that matter, just have to do a better job keeping those guys out West. Yeah. Yeah. No, that Najee play, I, I, it, when, when Magic Johnson says it, it's obvious. It's like his, his shtick on Twitter. He always tweets the obvious. He said that was the best hurdle he's ever seen because Najee hurdled the defender and the defender was standing straight. And he was totally right. I've never seen that before. Right. No, it was pretty, pretty remarkable. And it was just, uh, I mean, we all knew it. We all knew Notre Dame was heavily outmatched. I mean, we, I mean, everybody, I just, and that's the thing, you know, Texas A&M didn't really do anything in their bowl game to change my mind about them. Are they a good football team? Yeah, they're a really good football team. But I think everybody after Clemson, if we're talking Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, everybody after Clemson was beatable. Notre Dame, you know, Florida, Texas A&M. I mean, just obviously Cincinnati, which really bummed me out seeing Cincinnati lose to Georgia. I, I mean, they had them on the ropes and, and couldn't close them out. And, and I fear that that's, you know, that's going to further drive that wedge, you know, with the committee that continues to omit the Cincinnati's and BYU's and Boise States of the world, uh, you know, the coastal Carolinas. I mean, I get the argument. Trust me. I, I'm, I'm not saying that they're pay, playing inferior teams every week and they are but again at some point we're all going to start not having that much fun watching Alabama and Clemson or Alabama and Ohio State play each other year in and year out I don't know what the answer to that is I, I mean there I I'm not here advocating that we need to take them down a notch because they're too good I don't believe in that but at some point we need to figure out a way to try to level the playing field a little bit and uh I don't know how you do that, but it certainly certainly doesn't look like the committee is intent on doing that as well. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to be right back, like like a 10, 15 seconds. I'm yanking the headset off. I got a massive spider on the ceiling right here in my studio. Get him. Yeah. That's bugging the hell out of me. Oh, that was nasty. <laughs> Man. Okay, so, um, goodness gracious me, uh, you favor Bama in this game? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I saw, I really was impressed with what I saw out of Ohio State, uh, not discrediting them in the least. I just don't know if they can sustain that level of play two games in a row after what we've seen from them the rest of the season. They've been good this season. They haven't played like that. Uh -huh. Um I, I, I mean, the smart money would be not to bet on them doing it back to back, but, uh, you know, I just hope they give us a hell of a ball game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to see, I just want to see at least one Nick Saban headset slam. Just one. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we'll get it every year. <laughs> uh, that man has a problem. Want to talk basketball? 
Yeah, let's talk some hoops. Okay, so the Oregon men keep climbing up the top 25, keep getting wins. I'm really impressed with this defense. How about you? Yeah, you know, I I tweeted out. I know I tweeted out, and it was you know I was kind of watching the Oregon Stanford game, and I haven't you know obviously with with uh, you know with me in particular, but I would say us you know kind of focused on football to this point. You know, haven't spent a ton of time watching uh, the men's games, and you know, uh, Scoop Duck. We've had a couple of the guys going to the games uh, and and covering them, which has been great. But um, you know, I'm watching the Stanford game, and I'm like, am I watching? You know, and I tweeted out, am I watching two average teams go at it or am I watching a really good defensive performance or exactly, you know, what am I seeing here? And I'd say that the jury's probably still out a little bit on that for me, but um, I also take into account the fact that Oregon was missing several starters in that game. Uh, Stanford is a good uh, basketball team. Um, I'm really impressed with, I'm really impressed with the level that this team is playing at now, considering that we're talking about early January. Comparatively, I'm not sure that this is Dana Altman's most talented team. It might be his deepest team, not his most talented. But I think they're playing better than a lot of his more talented teams at this point in the season. The what the question that remains to be seen is, are they going to be able to take that next step? Because that's what they need to do. I mean, I, I don't debate that they're a top 15-ish level team somewhere in there, you know, maybe a top 12 even. But in order to get in that top 10 and be one of those, you know, elite teams, I think we're going to need to see them kick it up a notch. And uh, it's just really going to be interesting to see if this is a team that does that or if they just happen to start kind of playing to their level, you know, from the get-go. If we, if we, if you know, if I'm banking on it, it's going to be Dana Altman making some tweaks and this, this team taking another step. Yeah. But uh, for me, that's the storyline, you know, for maybe like the next two to three weeks here. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Storyline for the next two or three weeks is seeing the ceiling on this team because this week it's the Mountain Schools. Uh, and Utah, we know how they are every year. One of the best coached teams, not just in the Pac-12, but in any conference, any school out west, right up there with Gonzaga, in my opinion, in terms of how well they're coached year in, year out. They had a two-point loss to UCLA. So that team is competitive. Uh, Colorado, I, I wouldn't say they're on the same level, but they've given Oregon some really fun games in the years past. These are going to be two really close games. And then you've got Oregon State, and I know the Beavers are down. I've picked on Wayne Tinkle's Beavs a ton this year because I I think that they need to give him the axe. He's a really nice guy, but he just can't recruit to save his life, and you're seeing why. Um, All that said, Oregon State has been tough for the Ducks in years past. They love to steal one or both from the green and yellow. And then you got the the, uh, the desert schools, and we know what Arizona can do year in, year out. We know that's going to be a good game, always is. This is a, a prove-it point for the Oregon men. They have a deep team. They have a very versatile team, especially defensively. They're doing a lot of stuff right now to generate turnovers and spring easy, fast-break buckets. But now we get to see it against the cream of the crop in the Pac-12. 
Yeah, and uh, you make a lot of great points. Colorado's always been a thorn in the side for the Ducks. Uh, Utah also has been a thorn in the side for the Ducks at certain points as well. Um, you can never take the Arizona schools, you know, for granted. And, uh, you know, Oregon State is still a rivalry. Uh, you know, the only caveat to Oregon State is obviously they paused all their basketball uh, currently yeah. this week. Yeah. So, and that's the other wild card about all of it. You know, we're assuming Oregon can continue to play and practice and get better. You know, what if there's a pause at some point, you know, for a, for a COVID outbreak? We, we don't know. Um, but that, that's obviously the real wild card here. Uh, you know, with some of that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, these guys can stay on the right path and and stay healthy. And, uh, you know, for a team like Oregon state, like you said, that's not very good. uh, A weak pause or a weak break is pretty dangerous for them right now. Uh, when you're not playing especially good basketball. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm honestly, I really am. I know I've said this last couple of weeks. I'm really anxious to tear into basketball, to watch it for us to pod about it for, you know, for it to get a lot more of my attention than it has the last couple of weeks. I'm, I'm really, really anxious because, you know, I know we're going to talk about it in a minute. The, the women are a real enigma too. And, and obviously, you know, had a little bit of a different week, but I, I, again, I say the same thing I said last year. I don't know that it's a bad thing. No, no. Did you see the ladies play UCLA? Uh, you know, I didn't. I wasn't able to see that game. Uh, I saw the outcome. Um, I was able to follow a lot of it on 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 Twitter and on our on our message board on Scoop Duck. You know, just kind of of what went on. And uh, you know, I'll, I mean, I'll say this. I said it a couple of years ago. I don't know that a loss is a bad thing. There, you know, you you learn a lot from the loss. It's it's really hard to continue winning and never. You know, it's it's very dangerous when you experience your first loss late in the season because there might not be enough time to figure out how to recover from it. Uh, where, you know, you sit, sustain a loss here in the, in the, you know, the earlier part of the season, <laughs> you still got a lot of basketball left. Like, hey, okay, right. well, we lost. What, why did we lose? Did we, did we not shoot the ball well? Did we not play defense? Did we not rotate? And then you can go work on those things for a month or two. And uh, I, I think that's a very valuable thing for Kelly Graves, who we know is one of the best out there. Uh, and this is a young team. It's an inexperienced team overall. Um, again, I think it, I think it's a good thing for them to get punched in the mouth a little bit and we can't discredit that UCLA team. That's a really, really good basketball team as well. Right. I mean, they, they were a top 10 team in their own right. I think about that game this way. We've used this analogy in football before of, of a hypothetical where say Oregon is a four seed in the playoff and they lose to Joe Burrows LSU, or they lose to this juggernaut at Bama. The headline would have been, there's no shame in losing to a good team, right? There's no shame in going, okay, you guys are at a higher level than we are. Better recruits, uh, better development in terms of the experience that your players have. UCLA is just a better team right now. And that doesn't mean Oregon can't get better than they are. Ducks have the number one recruiting class in America suited up this year. They've got a great coach who they just locked up long term. But it's going to take time for that team to grow, and UCLA is ahead of them right now. I, I, I see no shame in that loss. They fought till the end, came awfully close, and they've got another shot later in the year. Not only that, it doesn't get any easier with Stanford next on deck. Right. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, but that's the, I mean, that's, 
you know, that's the thing. Iron sharpens iron, right? So, I mean, for, for Kelly Graves, he's basically able to say, hey, girls, if you want to be the best, you got to beat UCLA. You've got to beat Stanford. Here's the benchmark. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's great. You you are better served, even if you're taking L's. You're better served by facing that competition, seeing where you're weak, seeing where you need to get better. You know, making improvements along the way, because then when the tournament comes, you know you've hopefully been able to iron out some of those things versus just simply playing those teams in in the uh, in you know in the tournament and them exploiting them there. That that hurts yeah. more than losing right now. So I, I um, again, I'll be. I don't know about you, but I'll be very interested to see how they bounce back from this one um, against, uh, obviously, a really, really good Stanford team. Yeah, that, that Stanford game is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, one thing I'm, I'm really pleasantly surprised by this year is without Sabrina, Satu Sabali, Ruthie Hebert, Oregon really has still found its groove schematically. They're still getting penetration inside the three line and kicking out to open shooters and just feasting on the perimeter. Same way they were roasting teams last year. They're doing it this year just with different people, right? It's uh, Tahina Pow-Pow playing the Sabrina role, and it's Aaron Boley kind of being Satu on the outside. It's working for them. And I, I, I think Stanford should be the favorite in this game. I want to talk about one of the Stanford players because I'm really excited to see her after after watching her rock at the high school level for four years. Stanford's got a team of ballers. They should beat Oregon in this game, but Oregon's given them fits the last couple of years. The way the Ducks play is just so hard to defend. If they steal this game from Stanford, all bets are off on this team. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And, um, like you said, you know, one of the things is it's it's different people doing the same thing on this team. You know, it's clear that Kelly Graves didn't, you know, say, well, I got a, a bunch of new players. I'm just going to come up with something different. Right. It's like, no, we're, right. we're going to stick with this. It still works. And it still works. And I, and to me, honestly, 100%, I think the, the only difference, the only, I shouldn't say the only, but one of the biggest differences, this Oregon team didn't beat UCLA is Sabrina Ionescu. You didn't have that. And don't get me wrong. There's some good players on this team, but Sabrina's a killer. You know, she, she lived for those moments and having somebody like that, that had ice water in their veins, you know, that's something that I'm not sure anybody on this roster has quite yet, not to that level at least. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. We're clearly talking about one of the best women's players to ever come through college basketball. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that might be the difference. And, and perhaps, you know, uh, you know, pow, pow, or somebody can, can develop maybe that level over the course of a year. Um, and given how young they are overall, that could be pretty darn dangerous for the next couple of years. Yeah. Hey, uh, one more thing on that Oregon Stanford women's game coming up. I, I got to throw a name out there. And some of, you know, this one, Cameron Brink, she was at uh, Southridge High School in the Portland area for a few years, won a couple state titles, transferred to Mountainside, almost won a state title last year, uh, got to the quarterfinal before everything got shut down. Five blocks on New Year's Day. She's a true freshman at Stanford. Jeez. Their whole team is like that, just loaded with weapons. I can't wait to see this matchup because it's really – 
the two most talented teams in the Pac-12, if not the two best teams in the Pac-12, because uh, I think Oregon's really young, but but also potentially Stanford is the most talented team in the country. So this is gonna yeah. be fun. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. And and the you know to to Kelly Graves' credit, you know he's been able to go out and recruit some more length, a little bit. You know they're a little bit bigger, and I think that's going to help this team in particular, uh, you know, with the length of Stanford, obviously having those bigger bodies to, to bang around, uh, you know, in the post, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I was a huge Ruthie Hebert fan, you know, and, and Satu had a little bit of length to her, but this is a longer, bigger, more physical Oregon team that has a chance to at least, at least if nothing else, limit those second chance points for Stanford, probably one of the keys that will keep them in this game. Yeah. Hey, one last thing on women's hoops. Did you find it funny that Kelly Graves signed a long-term extension a week after Mario Cristobal? <laughs> that that Rob Mullins, he he uh, he he works in mysterious ways, right? Uh, <laughs> no, you know, no. And and um, I, I guess I'll say this. You know, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but everybody was kind of worried about the optics of of those types of moves. I didn't hear much pushback. I mean, you had a few people chatter about it here and there, but overall. You know, nobody was egregiously like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe they did this. Let's let's call an emergency meeting at the courthouse. You know, it's just it, it. I, you know, I just don't think it was as big a deal as it was made out to be. And in the end, I'm just glad to see that obviously both of those head coaches are going to remain at Oregon because those guys are are two of the best. I know we've asked this before. I mean, who's you know, who's the I know football pays the bills. We both know football right. pays the bills right. for Oregon, but you know my answer. You know yeah, my answer. I mean, Fo- football you know, is the be all end all. It's the biggest thing in the world. But if you ask me to to weigh these guys on a scale, who's heavier, who's better, it's Kelly Graves. Yeah. No, it's tough to argue against that. I mean, you know, I I I'm I'm a I'm a huge Kelly Graves fan just like you. I mean, no doubt. So and then, and then I, I just I feel bad. I feel like we don't even mention Dana Altman. It's like, man, this guy's done right. some really good stuff for a long time at Oregon. And it's uh, again, it's just a reminder that it's a pretty incredible time to be a Duck fan. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a family with three kids. Two of them get straight A's. One of them gets an A minus. That A minus is really good too. Dana Altman doing some great work with the Oregon men. Uh, proof in the pudding. One of his recruits now balling in the NBA. Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, that's been a fun story, right? You know, obviously the, with the injury, he was able to, uh, you know, to start, play, get some extended minutes and, and made the most of it. I try, I'm going off memory, but I think it was 23 points yeah. he scored, if I recall correctly. I mean, what a, what a heck of a, heck of a, of a, at least a starting debut for him. If that, you will. I know he, I know he's played already, but that was his first start. And that's with no summer league. Oh yeah, that's true too. I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's, I know it's great. It's just what a. What a what a fun time to be a duck fan following all this and and then uh, you know here in a, in a couple months you'll have a couple of you have a couple of football players hopefully going in the first round of the NFL draft pot, quite possibly the first overall pick yeah I love that segue uh, let's talk about some of the guys who declared earlier this week uh, Diamador Lenore he's gonna work out get ready for the combine same goes for Jordan Scott. What do you think about these ducks? What do you think about their potential at the next level? Well, you know, the NFL draft's going to be really 
uh, intriguing to me, for, at least from a you know from an Oregon standpoint. I mean, there's no question Panay Sewell is going to be, let's just say, a top three pick, you know, and I think that's being conservative. Um, I believe Javon Holland's probably done enough to be a first round guy. At least I be- I believe he will be. Um, might be an early second round, but that's pretty good either way. Uh, it's really unclear after that. There, uh, you know, I'm. I thought Diamador Lenore did everything he could to help his NFL draft stock this season, even in the shortened season. He had a great year. He really did. Uh, that said, he's you know he's still some of his measurables uh, limit him a little bit, and I I I don't know. I I I don't think he's a I don't think he's a round two or three guy. I think he's probably somewhere in that four or five range. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think he'll go below that, but I think he's somewhere in the four or five range, maybe a late three, uh, somewhere around there. So what I'm getting to is you've got those first two, you know, basically nearly first rounder guys after that, you know, is Jordan Scott draftable? I don't know. I love Jordan Scott. I loved what he did at Oregon and I don't blame him for leaving. I mean, he, he, you know, he ran its course at Oregon. It was, he's ready for the next step. Um, Coming back wouldn't have helped his NFL draft stock. So, um, you know, if, if that's your argument, I just don't think that would, I, I just don't think that applies there. So, um, you know, for him, I, maybe he's a six round guy. Maybe he's just one of those guys that gets signed after the draft. I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting to me. I've, I've seen teams draft corners purely on tape because there's so much. Of, of like a personality or a mentality that goes into that position. You're looking for a corner with swagger, a corner that's aggressive, that's not afraid to make tackles. But then I'll see teams like, say, Seattle have always done this. They value a corner's measurables. If, if they don't trust you on a third and goal, fade pass to the end zone, they don't trust your ability to swat that ball and prevent a jump ball, they're not going to draft you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, length is, you know, we talk about length at corner uh, with the Ducks and in college football. It's at a premium in the NFL. You know, I mean, you you're you're facing, you know, the the Jerry Judy's and and the, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and the, you know, the the longer, taller guys, uh, you know, having to compete, compete with that is a lot. And it doesn't mean a 5'10", 5'11", you know, six foot corner doesn't have a uh, have a home there. It's just you've got to be pretty exceptional. Uh, as you limit your measurables, you've you've got to be an exceptional player. So, again, I, I I don't think I don't think coming back for that extra year would have helped Lenore any more than he already has. So I don't blame him for making the jump. Nick Pickett, same thing. Coming back, I don't see that that helps him. I'm not sure that he's a draftable player at this point. Right. Um, I, again, that that extra year, it, it would have just been them either wanting to come back for a free year of school to get more backpacks and shoes or, you know, because they wanted to play in it. So, you know, for instance, to me, a guy like Hunter Campmoyer who elected not to use that extra year, he technically declared for the NFL draft. I love camp. And I think he showed great improvement. He's not draftable. You know, he's not a guy uh, unless, unless somebody signs him after uh, looking for maybe like an H back or fullback. I think he's got a home there, but I mean, that's just not a position that's utilized in today's NFL very much. So, yeah. um, again, that's I guess that's to my opening point. There's going to be a pretty big disparity in you know those top two guys drafted 
to where everybody else ultimately ends up. And, you know, I, I don't think Pickett ends up getting drafted. I don't think Campmeyer ends up getting drafted. I'm not sure that Jordan Scott ends up getting drafted. But again, I don't fault them for going. I don't think they're making a mistake. I think they're just ready to move on to the next level. I like Jordan Scott to get drafted, just not high. I, I think that his position, it's kind of like a fullback or a blocking tight end. Teams always need it. They're always going to draft that guy, but they won't do it till day three. Um, sure. As for, for Pickett and Camp Moyer, it really just comes down to how good are they at their best? Like, like I look at Nick Pickett, for example, because my team has a, a darth of defensive backs where we just have a bunch of guys that stink. And, uh, <laughs> we, you know, we really need safety help. Nick Pickett is not a real versatile safety, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I see him as a guy, he could be a box safety in the NFL. Um, he could be a, a situational guy. You platoon him in your secondary, and some teams just won't value that. I think about, for example, Pittsburgh, the way they use Minka Fitzpatrick or the way the Chargers use Derwin James. They want a safety that can play everywhere. And, and you know, sometimes you're, we want you to cover a receiver, cover a tight end. Sometimes we want you in man. Sometimes we want you in zone as a robber or we want you as a deep safety. Um and I, I don't know if Nick Pickett does that at the next level. Could get drafted, just, you know, good good leadership guy, good special teams guy, but I don't know if the versatility is there. Yeah, he's a pretty massive liability in coverage, uh, and he showed that at Oregon, so I don't, I don't think there's any reason to believe going to the NFL is going to make that any better. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you draft him, you're basically, you know, drafting somebody. You say, okay, this will be, you know, on a third and short, like you said, like a box safety, somebody you know you're coming up expecting to help make a tackle. Um, and when you're getting that specific, you know, you, you better be relatively good at even that part. And, uh, you know, so again, not to pile on Nick Pickett, I think he made the right choice, him leaving, you know, coming back for an extra year. It would have just kind of been to enjoy the ride. And I don't fault him for that as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I think Oregon's got a couple, they're top heavy. And then after that, it's kind of, uh, a very much mixed bag. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Uh, obviously, we've got months to talk about Penne Sewell's draft prospects, Javon Holland. we got so much time to break down all those off-season topics, uh, plenty of time to drool over spring ball and uh, get you the in-depth on hoops every week. Needless to say, I feel like we're at a pretty good point. Yeah. No, we, we've covered all the bases. You know, I kind of figured we'd only get 30, 40 minutes out of this. Um, I was considering, you know, bringing on Hith and QB just to get some Fiesta Bowl thoughts from them on this pod. But I know, you know, particularly with Hith, he was still doing film, film review on it. So, you know, maybe that's something we'll bring them on next week and yeah. just kind of, you know, just kind of recap that a little bit more in depth of what went right, what went wrong, um, you know, and what to look for in this offseason. But uh, but for now, yeah, we I feel really good about everything. And, and uh you know, we should definitely have a, uh, at least at least three or four active really weeks with the podcast, with with recruiting, you know, finishing up on football with hoops, all the stuff that's going on there. Coaching news as well, which we're still waiting on. Yes. And then uh, Andy is know, still a duck as we're talking about <laughs> this. 
as we're talking, yeah, I wasn't sure we'd make it through, but, uh, but, you know, and then February, you know, obviously we'll get, we'll have the, we'll have the pod after signing day, kind of recap everything there. Uh, might be a little light for a couple of weeks, but shoot, it's like two or three weeks. And next thing you know, spring ball starts right back yeah. up. Um, yeah. So there's really going to be no breaks. I know, I know folks, and I'm just saying this on the pod. I know folks kind of, you know, signing day comes and goes, football season comes and goes and everybody kind of, you know, tunes things out, but, you know, recruiting is more of a spring event now than it is a fall event. And, uh, you know, if we're talking about spring, you're going to have spring ball and you've got, you know, both the basketball teams looking, you know, top 10, top 15-ish. Uh, so there's a lot going on. I, I don't know that we're going to get a break, but that's okay. That just means you and I don't have to waste as much time trying to come up with filler, which I'm okay with. We'll leave it on this <laughs> note because you said, hey, it might be light for a few weeks in the off season. I remember two years ago, maybe early February, late January, somewhere in here, you told me, okay, there's no way Jim Levitt goes. There's no way. That topic is done. That conversation's over. And uh, we're, we're just going to kick back and relax for a couple of weeks. And then the minute you turn your phone off and take vacation, what happened? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's the case. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I went to Mexico, and it was July, which is a re- suppo- supposedly one of the quieter months of recruiting. You know, yeah. March, April, May, June, pretty busy recruiting. I went to Mexico in July, and there was like three or four commits that week. You know, so <laughs> that's that's how it goes. Yeah. But yeah, I I think you know my biggest point is for the po- the folks still listening is you know we're we're in a year where a lot of this news is year round now. You know, not so much seasonal as it had been. I understand the football season itself is just one season, but you know, there's so much else going on year round that uh, it is nice for you and I not to have to come up with filler every week. I can say that much. Oh, yeah. Uh, next week, Andy Avalos might still be a duck or he might be somewhere else. Whatever happens, we'll talk about it. Scoop duck and hi-fi. We'll also get you our thoughts on the Oregon men and the Oregon women. Uh, basketball season in full gear and thoughts on duck football like justin said this is going to be a massive weekend for the transfer portal give it all a read at scoop duck give us a listen right here on any podcast app and leave us a review if you really like the pod uh again scoop duck and hi-fi my name is matt bagley he's justin hopkins we thank you for listening and we say go ducks I can do this night life all day long.